Our game of the week is Jackson State versus Campbell, and this might be the out-of-conference game with the most ramifications this year. Oh, yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. The Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean it's time for your journey to be over. It's just time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Don't forget the S on the end of course from my audio people today's episode is brought to you by underdog sign up on underdog on underdogfantasy.com and with the promo code locked on you can get your first deposit doubled up to a hundred dollars so go ahead and make sure you take advantage of that and our game of the week is jackson state versus campbell and this is a game with major ramifications like i talked about and we're going to discuss that in the second segment when discussing our storylines to watch but first, I want to talk about our three matchups. And for me, because of how the North Carolina Central, and we're going to refer to that game a little bit, you know, it's just going to happen. You have to. But because of how the North Carolina Central versus Campbell game went down, the number one matchup that popped up in my head when thinking about this game is the Campbell offensive line versus the Jackson State defensive line. Because that's where Campbell beat them. We have to remember, we discussed this game after it happened. And when doing it, I talked about the, the game, really, I just talked about the first half, and it sounded, had I not gave the disclaimer, it sounded like whole game stats, and that's because the offensive line of Campbell dominated North Carolina Central. They were able to run the ball extremely well, their best running performance of the year, and they were able to do this because they dominated on the front line. So when I hear that, and I know that's what the game, or I want to say came down to because it was so big of a win but when you see that was the deciding factor I'll say that um when you see that's the deciding factor of the game well how can I not point to that matchup when you have another HBCU versus Campbell it just wouldn't make sense to me I, I couldn't bury the lead right I had to come out here with it and shout out my guy B-Date um when he said bury the lead it was always funny to me and now here I am adopting it that's why when you laugh at something but overall Central don't have a Niles Gaddy though like, that's the thing. The central defensive line was dominated, but they don't have a Niles Gaddy. They have some good pieces on the defensive line, but I don't think they have a guy who's capable of being a game breaker. Niles Gaddy is capable of being a game breaker. I saw it happen against Tennessee State where he had four tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks on the game. Like, that's a game-breaking performance. And with that, I think it gives Jackson State a better chance at defeating the offensive line of Campbell. And like I said, this could be a deciding factor because – if you lose this battle the same way that North Carolina Central lost this battle, if you're not getting blown out, you're going to be in a major shootout. 
And that's that's the thing you don't want. And one thing they are able to do by controlling that line of scrimmage is they can keep your offense off the field. So you can have five and a half minute drives, seven minute drives that likely are going to result in a touchdown because they're winning and beating you badly at the line of scrimmage. You can't win when you get beat like that. So with that being the case, you're going to need Niles Gaddy to have a good game. You're going to need a JT Rage and have a good or Ragan and have a good game. You're going to need these players to step up and play the way that we know they can play because they're guys who can get after it in the running game and also rushing the passer. But specifically, the running game is what we're talking about right now. And when you look at um, Campbell, they after after beating North Carolina Central, something clicked. I don't know what it was, but they decided maybe we need to run the ball more. They had 58. I believe rushing attempts against North Carolina Central, they haven't dipped under 50 in the two games since. They didn't have 50 any game before. I don't even know if they got to 40, but they definitely didn't have 50. That was a a, a clear shift in mentality. Now, the mentality is to go run the ball, but they haven't ran the ball as effectively as they did against Central, right? They've had some, some nice yardage. Yeah, they had 189, 199, but some of that is because you're just running so much. Neither one of those hit four yards per carry. You know, so it's not that they're overly effective, but they're going to do it. So you can talk about, oh, they're not that good a run team. Okay, that's whatever. But we're talking about matchups that you need to watch. Be prepared for them to run the ball. It's up to you to make sure they're still not effective, but they are going to try to run it on you. Now, for my next matchup, I have the assortment of wide receivers for Jackson State against the defensive backs of Campbell. That's what I have because the magic number here. When you look at the wide receivers versus the defensive backs, wide receivers of Jackson State versus the defensive backs of Campbell, the magic number is 272. I'm going to tell you why. Jackson State's offense has never went under there. That's the lowest passing yardage by Shador Sanders. And assuming that Shador Sanders is going to play this whole game, I don't think it's going to be that quick of a blowout. You have to look at it. So when looking, basically this is the passing offense versus the pass defense, but we're going to talk about the wide receiver specifically. So, in this, the magic number is 272. It's a very important number in this conversation. So remember it. Campbell has a solid pass defense. They don't get passed on a lot, right? So when you look at how many games they've allowed 272 yards per game, per, I mean, in a game, you have two games they'd had that happen in. One was North Carolina Central when they're passing like crazy to get into the game, and they're well ahead of them. So if you want to strip the validity from there, there's only one game that Campbell has allowed 272 or more yards through the air. Jackson State has only had two games under 300. Shador Sanders be slanging it, all right? Like, we have to understand that Shador Sanders is not mentioned in the Heisman. Let me, I'm sorry. I disrespected you. I truly do apologize. I know that you understand. But for my Campbell people who might be here getting ready for the game, they might not. So with that being said, we have to understand, I'll include myself, we have to understand that Shador Sanders ain't in the highest men conversation, whether you want to say Dion's doing it and just forcing his son there. He didn't do it last year. Like, you have to be playing to a certain standard to even not seem delusional putting this guy in the highest men category. And he's playing well enough for it not to seem like the craziest thing ever, right? So that means he's playing pretty well. This is an FCS quarterback getting highest men conversations. You don't hear that often. So with that being the case... He's slinging it, averaging over 300 yards per game, top five in the nation. So this is a great passing offense. 
But Shadour gets enough love, and I've just given him more than I expected to. The wide receivers are really freaking good. Those wide receivers, and they have an assortment of them. You can go DJ Daniels. You can go um, Shane Hooks, William Gaines, or Willie Gaines, right? And then the thing about, about DJ Daniels is he's the leading receiver, so of course you're going to pay a lot of attention to him. Makes sense. He is the number one. He's the leading receiver on the team. However, he's not even the leading receiver every single game, right? They play six games. He's the leading receiver in three of them. But as the number one, you might expect that to be more often. That's not a slight at DJ Daniels. It's just the fact that they have any amount of players that can just go get it, right? You can have Willie Gaines be a leading receiver with big-time plays. You can have Shane Hooks be a leading receiver. They've both done it. I didn't even mention Kevin Coleman, who is absolutely many dynamite. They have a lot of weapons. So if you want to talk about the passing game, yes, Shador is great, and he's the person who's throwing the ball, so he's going to get the most attention. But let's not also forget, they got some really good wide receivers that he's throwing to. That doesn't diminish anybody. Actually, you combine them together, and it just elevates the overall passing offense. You can boost one without taking down the other. Right now, let's get into the final matchup, and that's Brevin Allen and Josh Johnson versus the Jackson State offensive tackles. This pass rushing duo is really good. They're really impressive to me. And we're going to start off with Allen because with Allen, you're looking at a former Big South Defensive Player of the Year just last year. So really, we shouldn't even call him former. He's the reigning, right? He's the reigning, defending. Shout out to uh, Oliveira versus uh, Makashev. I was I was worried I was going to mess up the last name. Um, but there's no reigning, defending in there, but it is a title fight nevertheless. But overall, when you're looking at Brevin Allen, you could make an argument he's the best defensive end in Campbell history. And he's most certainly the most productive in Campbell history. He leads the team, or excuse me, leads the school in tackles for a loss, 38 and a half. He's tied for the sack lead, so technically he leads the school history in sacks as well at 20 and a half. He's going to break both of those, right? He's already broke the tackles for a loss. He's going to break the sack one. I don't think he's going to go sackless for the rest of the year. And if you're not careful, he might break that record in this game. He's number nine, by the way, so you can look out for him. He kind of alternates whether or not he's on the left or the right, but he's been on the offensive's, offenses left most times. So over the left tackle. Um, I'll just keep it there, not explaining, but on the offensive left. Most of his damage in this record-breaking career he's had came last year when he was the Big South Player of the Year. But then also in this year, he has seven and a half tackles for a loss. He has four and a half sacks. I really like his burst around the edge. He's very effective, right? Like I said, he alternates with Josh Johnson, who also has seven and a half tackles for a loss. He doesn't have as many sacks, so he's not as high in the sack production category. However, he is pretty high in tackles for a loss, and he still has one and a half sacks. So he can do it. It's never a question if he can get after the quarterback. This is a really good pass rushing duo and a good run stopping duo. That's 15 tackles for a loss between your two defensive ends. That's an impressive number. And if Jackson State isn't watching out, they could wreck shops, specifically Allen. So I can't wait to see if they even try to give the offensive line some help. But that should be something that is going to be interesting to watch from play one. And going forward, we're going to talk about somebody who's going to be there from play one. And that is Travis Hunter. He is returning. I'm very excited to say that. And I'm very happy to see him and see what he's going to be on the field for only his second career collegiate game but before i get into that i want to tell you about underdog because it is the easiest way to spice up your college football experience while watching your team and it's very simple you don't even have to put money down on the wins you pick two to five players and you bet on their stats so it's like the prop bets 
oh, do I think that Shador Sanders is going to go over 272? If I think he's going to get 273 or above, go ahead and put your money down on that, right? Do I think that um, Sante Marshall is going to get over 50 yards running? Do I think DJ Daniels is going to get over 75 yards receiving? It's with those type of metrics that you pick the over, the under, and whatever. You put your money down. If you're right, you get it back. Now, if you use the promo code Locked On, then they're going to double your deposit on your as long as it's your first deposit. They're going to double your deposit to $100. That's where they're going to cap it. But you got to make sure you get down with them on underdogfantasy.com or underdog fantasy the app, the easiest way to spice up your college football season. As we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your favorite listen or your first listen of the day and hopefully your favorite listen of the day every day. And today's word of the day is a word. OK, it's a word right here. Intercol- interlocutor. That's a word right there. Um, <laughs> but it means one who takes part in dialogue or conversation. In- interlocutor. I'm going to try to make sure I get that one off. Um, if I do that, I'm going to need a party. But anyway. The biggest storyline that I'm looking at is Travis Hunter. He's returning to play. He announced it on his YouTube page. And to me, this was just the logical course of action after last week. It just, I felt like it was going to happen. I felt like this was the week that we see Travis Hunter. And it's great to see because we haven't seen him since week one. He played FAMU, had a pretty good game. But we haven't seen him since because he's been injured. Um, I think it was an ankle injury. But overall, we haven't seen him since week one. And recently, we started to hear good progress for Hunter. So he practiced in the week against Alabama State. I didn't really hear much about that. But then when you see last week against Bethune-Cookman, he suited out. And you think, oh, he's about to play. He went through pregame warm-ups and everything. He suited out. And then Deion pulls him and says, we're not going to play you. Now, that to me tells me that, well, he was ready. In his head, he was ready to play. He was physically and mentally capable to play in his head. But the coaches and the doctors probably said, you know what, we're going to give you one more one more week to get completely healthy because there's always been the constant that we're going to make sure that he's all the way Travis Hunter when he comes back. And what that does, it opens us up to new opportunities. It allows us to see offensive Travis Hunter, right? We just talked about the assortment of weapons. He didn't play offense against FAMU, and that's likely because he wasn't that healthy. He was hurt in that game as well, but he played through it. They decided to rest him and... I'm happy because for a long time, it sounded like it was week to week. For a couple of weeks, it sounded like it was week to week. And then I heard nothing. And when you go from a week to week, oh, when is he going to play? Is he going to be there next week? To just, I don't hear anything about him. That concerns me. Because now, and I can, you know, I feel free to express these apprehensions now because he's on the field. But to me, it's like, oh, man, maybe this injury is really bad. Maybe it's worse than they thought, and it's really bad. So luckily, that's not the case. And we get to see the number one recruit in the nation. Go ahead and be a collegiate player. And remember just how good he was against FAMU. Now imagine you're going against Campbell. You're actually healthy. You don't have a weakened ankle or a weakened foot. You can actually move the way Travis Hunter wants to move. This could be dangerous. And I'm very excited to see what it's going to be because technically we've yet to see a healthy Travis Hunter in in JSU. We have yet to see it. So for the first time, we're going to see a very healthy Travis Hunter. And it's going to be at the homecoming for Jackson State. And in a way, it's kind of a homecoming for him as well. So that's my number one storyline. My second storyline is we're comparing this performance to North Carolina Central. 
I told you we're going to talk about this game. And it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. It's completely unfair to North Carolina Central, right? Well, if Jackson State wins, which I expect them to win. But it's unfair to North Carolina Central, but it is what it is. Fair or unfair, it's going to happen. That has to be the case. And this is coming from somebody who I've openly said we're going to use this as a measuring stick. When they first played Campbell a couple of weeks ago, I said, well, this is going to be a measuring stick for HBCUs. North Carolina Central plays them. Jackson State plays them. Uh, North Carolina a t plays them. They actually play Jackson State and North Carolina a t back-to-back weeks at both of their homecoming. Coach Mitchell said he's going to let you know which homecoming was better. But Jackson State kind of has to win this game. It's kind of a pressure on them now because Campbell knocked off what many expected to be the second-best HBCU at the time. They definitely looked like number two. People questioned since then, but at the time, they looked like number two. Well, Jackson State is undisputed, the number one. Like, we know they're the best HBCU. There, no one else ranks number one. I have, I've yet to see a list that didn't have Jackson State at number one. So if you knock off number two and number one, it's not a good look for HBCUs. It's not at all. You know, and I know a lot of people have this whole, I've seen this conversation of, oh, y'all rooting against a, uh, Jackson State, whoop the whoop whatever, man. In all seriousness, for the HBCU brand, we should be rooting for Jackson State. I don't care if you don't like Jackson State, all those things. If you care about HBCU pride, you want you want Jackson State to win because otherwise it's going to be a big knock and it's going to be one that those who want to knock HBCUs can easily use. And then even if North Carolina A&T wins, oh they're in the they're not in an HBCU conference. So you already have that written. Like I write these things. You know, I, I try to play devil's advocate all the time. So I just understand how people are looking at it. That's what they're going to say. If Jackson State and North Carolina Central lose, but then North Carolina a t wins. Well, you see, you got to go step outside of your HBCU conference to go ahead and build your, your, uh, your toughness, your strength of schedule, and be prepared for these other schools. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And I understand that it's not fair to, Jack, uh, to uh, North Carolina Central to really compare this game and act like it's the end-all, be-all. But the fact of the matter is, if North Carolina Central beats South Carolina State today, I can guarantee you that this is going to be a conversation point for a good minute until Delaware State knocks off North Carolina Central if that's what happens. Otherwise, they're going to say, oh, well, Jackson State beat Campbell, but Campbell beat North Carolina Central, so I know Jackson State can beat Central. We're better than them. Well, that ain't always the truth. We know that. Look at last year. Jackson State beat FAMU. FAMU beat South Carolina State, but then South Carolina State came, and we know what happened in the Celebration Bowl. So... It's not always a, I beat that person and that person beat that person. So I know I can beat the person they beat. It doesn't always work like that. So we have to remember it, but I'm still going to use it. It's a conversational point. You know what I'm saying? Interlocutors are going to have conversations about HBCU football. Yes, sir. Um, But they're going to have conversations about HBCU football. And it's not just going to be, you beat that person. I beat that person. Cool. No, you're going to have conversations and it's not always going to be wait till the, wait till the game happens. No, it's going to have conversations. They're going they're going to go around a bunch of things. What do you like in this aspect of the game? What do you like in this aspect of the game? Common opponents. What do you like? You know, that's all going to be a part of having that conversation. It's the reason that I love it because it, it it adds a little bit of color to a black and white situation. But going forward, we're going to be keeping it going. We're going to talk about a key to victory for Jackson State and only Jackson State.
that's wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. I have one key to victory, and I ain't doing no key to victory for Campbell. I ain't about to sit here and tell you why Campbell or how Campbell beats Jackson State. No, I'm not doing that this time. This is Jackson State-centered. Uh, I guess this is kind of the first time I did the game of the week that didn't have two HBCUs. But I'm happy about it. I think it's great. Right? I, I really don't mind. Truth be told, depending on how things go, next week could easily be another situation like that. But I, I probably won't, just so we don't do Campbell back-to-back weeks. Um, but overall, yeah, I don't think so. I think there's some other great homecomings. Um, but yes, anyway, so let's keep going. So with Jackson State, I just think they have to be Jackson State. That's not my key to victory, but I really think they just need to be Jackson State. I think they're the better team. You're a top 10 team in the country for a reason. You know, and some people are going to fight you about your, your strength of schedule and things of that nature. And I think that Campbell has been kind of boasted up enough to where that's, this win should represent a little bit of, you know, a quality win. I definitely think it is, but I don't know how everybody else does. Hopefully there's no moving of the goalposts. I wish we could just see would beating Campbell be a quality win for Jackson State and just keep it there. In my opinion, it is. But I would love to know what everybody else thinks. Matter of fact, let me know in the comments below. This is a Jackson State video. And I feel like JSU fans, look, they be out there. So they they still here. Um, but anyway, my actual key to victory for them is they need to run the ball. And I have trust in that offense passing. I think they're going to do well. They have a lot of weapons. I don't think Campbell's going to be able to stop all of them. We'll be watching the magic number 272. We'll see. But the running of the ball, I think, while won't be the deciding factor, I think if you're able to run the ball, that really is too much for Campbell. If Jackson State is able to run the ball, I don't think Campbell can stop the offense. That's how I look at it. And that's why I have it as my key to victory. Because the passing game, I trust it. I have confidence in it. The running game, you do that on top of it, they're not stopping your offense. You have an unstoppable offensive game, I don't think Campbell wins. I think you outlast them. So with that being said, it's my key to victory. And I look at the Campbell rush defense. They've had a, a very similar season to the Jackson State rush offense in which they both had, you know, a couple of games of high output yardage wise. Some have been because they just ran the ball a lot or, you know, they just had the ball ran against them a lot. So they gave up a lot of yards. But some have also been because there's just been just been efficient games played against them or played for them. So basically I say it like this. Jackson State has totaled a lot of yards, sometimes because they just ran the ball a lot, and then sometimes because they've been very efficient running the ball. While Campbell's defense has allowed a lot of running yards, sometimes because they've just been ran at a lot, and then other times because they've actually allowed a lot of, you know, run yards at the time on not as many carries. It just depends on how you want to look at it. So overall, this should be an interesting game. This is going to be one of the things that I feel like really is the icing on the cake. But I want to do a couple quick hits around the HBCU landscape before we get out of here. UAPB has fired their coach. No longer the head coach. And now they have replaced him with Don Treadwell. And as somebody who, you know, affectionately adopts the title of Don versus somebody who had the name given to him at birth. I, I got to show love to the fellow Don, man. You know what I mean? Y'all know what a Don is. I'm a Don. He a Don. We here. But overall... This is the former coach's third season on the job and had a strong pandemic year where he won four games, but he's only won four games in the two seasons since. And the fact that he had a really strong year during the pandemic tells me that there was no there was there was a short leash because you had a strong year. But then you had two back to back week years 
They were really weak years, but you get fired. I think we've seen coaches go through multiple struggle years and not get fired. He didn't even complete two full struggle years. Mind you that. He had a good first season. They were in the SWAC championship. Right? You can say pandemic, this pandemic, that. It happened. The next two years, next year he struggled. This year he ain't even got through the whole year. We only threw like six games, seven games. So the leash was not long. And that tells me that because even with a good season, he didn't get to, he didn't get to make it that long. Um, and Don Trailwell is also the OC wide receiver coach. And the offense has scored a decent amount of points. You wouldn't sit there and say that they are the problem, at least, right? And then also, the last thing I want to say is Josh Buchanan. He did a list of top 100 small school prospects. So this isn't just HBCUs. This is basically FCS and lower. And he had 10 HBCU prospects on there. I'm going to give you their name, where they went to school, and then also their ranking. So you had uh, Isaiah Land out of FAMU. You had Mark Evans out of UAPB. Running back. They had Isaiah Land at number six, and then Mark Evans at number eight. Keenan Isaac from Bama State at number nine. Sundiata Anderson from Grambling at number 10. So that's four HBCU players in the top 10. So of the small school prospects, you still have a lot of big-time talent coming out of HBCUs and high ranking. Because we're going all the way down to 100, but you have four of them in the uh, top 10, and that's major. Um, Emmanuel Wilson out of Fort Valley State at 35. Shaq Davis, South Carolina State at 36. Jadakiss Bonds, Howard at 48. Um, Jarvion Howard out of Alcorn at 74. DJ Daniels, who we mentioned earlier in the show, out of Jackson State at 81. And then Joshua Pryor at Bowie State out of, at 99. So... When you're looking at it, you have 10 HBCU players, six out of the SWAC, two from the MEAC, or one from the MEAC, two D2, and then one independent, that being Bonds, out of Hampton. Four defensive players, six offensive players. And this is major. I I wish I would have seen Basho Tootin in here. I'm really a fan of his, I'm be honest with you. I really enjoy his game. I love to watch how he plays football. He's probably my favorite FCS running back on the HBCU level. I would have liked to see him somewhere in this top 100 list. And I don't think that him and Howard are that far apart. So if Howard's at 74, it should definitely be some sort of conversation around Bayshaw Tootin being somewhere in this top 100. That's my personal opinion. Maybe if he was at 99 like prior, I wouldn't think about it too much. But if Howard's at 74, I don't think that I don't think that uh, Tootin should be 37 spots lower than him. Or that's just my per or 27 spots lower than him. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but going forward, we're going to wrap up or excuse me. We're going to talk about this game on Monday. It's going to be a very special game. I don't know if we're going to dedicate the whole show to it. We might mix that and then also North Carolina Central versus South Carolina State. Just depends on how this game goes. But we're going to be talking about this game at least for one or two segments on Monday's episode. I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen, make sure you're checking out our conference shows on the network. And in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.